Welcome. So my name is my name is Alex Mims. I'm originally from Gallatin, Tennessee, which is a little subset of Nashville. So I just tell everyone I'm from Nashville because it's one of those scenarios where when I explain where I'm from, no one has a clue. So I'm just like, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, that's in middle Tennessee for those of you that are Googling a map of Tennessee right now. So in 2009, <clears throat> joined the Air Force. Uh, prior to that, I was studying chemistry in college and was completely miserable. So I joined the, uh, joined the Air Force um, to do security forces. The reason I picked security forces is because my roommate in college was doing the, chem, uh, the criminal justice thing and he would come home happy every day. So I'm like, maybe there is something to this. Fast forward eight months, I'm sitting in a little bitty building, a foot and a half of snow is on the ground in Germany with no power and no heat. So it was awesome. But then after that point, pretty much everything was better. So I did the whole security forces thing. I'm at a couple of different echelons and then uh, transferred over into the role that I'm in now as the NCO Academy instructor, which is a leadership development program that we have for our mid-level, for our mid-level tier. So uh, in the Air Force, we have what's called developmental special duties. Uh, you used to be able to volunteer for them, but now um, they refer to them as vectors. So your leadership team identifies people that they feel would be good for certain roles. So that was how I was uh, nominated and subsequently selected for this job. Is the Air Force going to be a, a 20 plus year career for you? Or is this going to be a stepping stone to go from here to something else? So I've been in 11 years. Right now where I'm at my career, uh, I've got having nine years left, right? At this point, I think that I'm going to go to 20. Just because after nine years, like you get the full VA benefits, you get the retirement and you know all of those other benefits support right but with that being said if the right opportunity came then that would be something that we would table as a family and then make a decision based off that but i do really enjoy what i'm doing right now in the air force so uh, at least for the next few years i'd like to finish this out this is fun so uh, you and your family. So do you have kids and what's it like being in the military with a family? What is it? What is it like? Okay. So I look at that. It's like a, a two part answer for that. Um, it was just always a goal of mine to have a family. And now that I have that, I really appreciate it. They help keep me grounded. Uh, does the military necessarily value families? that really depends on your location and your leadership team. Some leadership teams do not. Other teams are very invested in the family aspect, which is something that uh, we're working on changing. And we've came 
we took some big strides in the last few years. So that is that is something that I experienced earlier in my career was, you know, you had like a decent amount of support. So now uh, anytime that I'm in a leadership role, like family is very important. The uh, phrase that I've heard is mission first people always. But the problem with that phrase is if you don't take care of the individual person that is actually doing whatever task that needs to be done, if you're not taking a holistic look at what their needs are and then helping them meet those needs, the mission or the project is never going to get completed because there's going to be no one there to do it. You know, I love that you said that because um, that's one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to start doing this podcast is to humanize the uniform. Because I think that mission first people always phrase I've heard used throughout my career in the military and even since then. And you are so right. If we don't take care of the person, then that mission is not going to be taken care of. I was a guest on someone's podcast and who had nothing to do with the military. And they asked me, uh, we were we were referencing or doing a review on a podcast the day before where um, an Air Force veteran was the speaker. And the, so this podcast interviewer asked me, how can... How can somebody in the military say that, especially someone in, in a leadership position, say that they set up an environment under their command where it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to fail when you're in the military? Because she said, because when I think about the military, I think about this elite force, this elite fighting force, and it just doesn't make sense to me. It seems like a contradiction. And so I told her, I said, yes, you're right. The, the military is as a whole, an elite fighting force, but this elite fighting force is made up of people. And people are not perfect. People are, we're human, we make mistakes. And so setting up a place of vulnerability where it's okay for the service member to make a mistake. So long, and I think the biggest key is so long as you acknowledge your mistake, the piece that you hold, you played in it, and then you learn from, from it and move forward. Um, that's, that's the environment that she was setting up because we're not robots. We're not machines. We are people that make up the elite fighting force. And a big part of that is, uh, the, the family, yeah, I, even me as a single soldier, I, while I didn't have a spouse or kids, I did have parents and siblings. And so, but I, you know, I, so I admire, I admire families because that's that's a lot to balance uh one person uh on a on a previous episode as well she was actually she's actually a spouse and said that what people don't realize outside of the military is that the service members in uniform and their families have the same exact problems that people outside the military have so whatever those people are struggling with families in the military have as well but in the military environment, sometimes those problems get accentuated because you're not, you know, you can't just say, no, sorry, boss, I'm going to turn down that job offer to go to the other side of the world for the next nine to 11 months. You can't say no, you have to go, uh, which separates you from your family. 
did you and your family ever um, experience separation, whether it's from a deployment or a schooling? Uh, yeah, we did uh, a couple of times. So there was there, there was um, one instance where I was deployed and then the workup for that deployment took a few months. And then we and then we deployed. And then we did our deployment time. We came back. And I was back at work for probably three weeks and then I was slotted to go to another school. And then that school was eight weeks long. So that entire year, I was only home two to three weeks. I mean, and that was tough. And then after I got back from that school, I'd been back for about a month and they had another school that they wanted me to go to, but then I was selected for a new assignment. So luckily I didn't have to go to that school too, but we did end up moving uh, shortly after that. What were some uh, obstacles or issues that you guys were confronted with during this transition and separation time that you guys were confronted with and how did you go about addressing those things? While I was deployed, uh, we were, we had one child, we had another one that was on the way. So we needed to get out of the apartment that we were in because it was just way too small. So my wife had found a house and we had started to rent that house and then she moved everything with her and a couple of her friends when she was like seven or eight months pregnant, like it was a lot. So that, that, that one was, that one was a big one because it's stressful on me as a service member. Cause you know, like I can't be there to help, you know, move, move the couch or whatever, you know? So that was, that was stressful. And then uh, during that deployment, my second daughter was born and I got to watch that one on Skype. We just, like that one was a that one was a rough time, just uh, just not being there. Like you kind of you can kind of feel helpless because you're not you're not able to be as supportive as you want to be. So, overcoming that uh, was something that was tough. In regards to the PCS, uh, the PCS stress I think is just a, it's just different, you know because you're going from one state or one country to another one, you have to make sure that all of your stuff arrives. <laughs> then you have to deal with meeting timelines and flights and driving here and there and doing this and that. Uh, but for me, what causes me the most stress during PCS is, is the movers that they contract to move your stuff. If you have to, like, if you have to have them move it, right? Because I'm sure that some people have had great experiences, but so far I've been doing this for 11 years and I have not met one set of movers that didn't break something. So that's what drives me up the wall. Now, my, I, oh, another question I have for you, does, does your wife actually work somewhere? Um, and if she does, or if she has worked, uh, what is it like moving from one duty station to another and her having to find employment? So at our last assignment, she worked at the same place for about five years. 
she enjoyed what she did but then when we moved she totally switched industries now she works fully remote from home uh, she does employment research right so she works for a company you apply for a job you apply for a house or an apartment or whatever that requires a background check they will whatever that company is they will send it to a third party to do the investigation call around to hr department see if you're still employable that's what she does now and she enjoys it uh, because it's a little bit more on the hr side of things which is ultimately where she wants to go but definitely uh the military spouses just as a community they need additional support um, in the employment space because oftentimes moving anywhere between two, four, five years, you know, like that, that's tough. I mean, regardless of what their certificates or their education credentials are, um, they, they, they have a rough. Because I've seen multiple, multiple spouses that have got, you know, graduate degrees and certifications and way, way, way smarter than most of us. And they have struggles finding employment because they just are looked at as, oh, well, they're just going to move in a couple of years. Which they might or they might not, but, you know, that, that should not be held against them. Or we're like, what about the military spouses that are teachers? You know, they, they were licensed in one state and then they move to another one and then they want to teach because it's just something they're passionate about. So they have to go through the licensing process in that state again. So however long that takes. But I, I know that there was like a, a law or something that was getting passed that was going to help with military spouses that were teachers. Um, I don't know if that went through, though, but I was really excited to see that. resources that maybe you and your family have had to tap into at different points that has helped you and i understand that you volunteer and work with some uh mm -hmm. nonprofits that help veterans so for so for us uh the ones that we uh used or have used in the past was i mean operation homefront right so when we were probably about six years ago we had heard of operation homefront because, you know, like they do the Thanksgiving meals thing. And then, um, like, we heard about it in Germany, right? Well, they didn't tell us it was Operation Homefront. Uh, I was just walking down the hallway one day, and I'd probably been in, like, two to three years. And my first sergeant comes down, and he's like, hey, go over to the commissary. Go around back. They're going to give you a turkey. And I'm like, okay, like, what is that? So fast forward a couple of years later, uh, they were doing a thing up at the school where – the kids could go up and get school supplies right so we're like all right cool like let's go up there and check it out but then we ended up talking to the the point of contact up there and then got in touch with the regional director and then we started putting extra events on up at our base so uh, operation homefront was was a big one i mean in operation homefront it's got like six or seven different service lines that they have uh there's like back to school brigade and then there's the one for Thanksgiving meals and they do another one. It's a toy drive. And then they have a couple more, but those actual names escape me right now. But those are the ones that we've used, but now we propel those a lot. Like we brought those here to Shepherd um, where we're at currently. And we really, really, really enjoy uh, Operation Homefront. 
I think one thing it just in the veteran space and the transitioning military is being able to talk to the people that are retiring. You know, they're, they're told that they're tab briefings. Oh, hey, you know, there's tons of resources out there. Um, all the tips that they're given. I mean, and even the, even the ones that I was given when I had somebody that I was transitioning out, they were all super vague. They were like, hey, go network or hey, go, uh, go find this organization that, that will help with resumes. And you're like, well, who? You know, where do I go? The VA is absolutely a, a great place to start square one, but actually going out there and giving specific examples. And I feel like what I found is the more people that I've asked is you just keep hearing similar answers. And they're usually very vague, you know, like for me, like, I want to know like, Hey, like I need, I need resume support. Where do I go? Like, okay, well, our heroes USA still serving veterans, you know, this person, this person, this person are all certified resume writers and career coaches. Like you need to go talk to these people. Okay, cool. So I, I think building that list, uh, at least it's something I'm trying to do is like via LinkedIn and stuff like that is I know where these experts are. So when the people that work for me in the future need it, I directly have an answer. That's easy. All you got to do is go network. Great. Go where? Yeah, I'm glad that you said the network and thing. How yes. Yeah, that, yeah, the how because is. Absolutely. If I don't know how to network, then it doesn't matter if I know where to go. Mm -hmm. So if, I, if, if somebody says, oh, well, here's a job fair. Go network at this job fair. And I don't know what networking means. Mm -hmm. then I'm going to show up to a job fair and just be like uh, twiddling my thumbs, yeah. going, stopping at a table and say, oh, that looks kind of cool. Here's my resume. And or not so even having the resume. I think, yeah, absolutely. And so I think we can do a better job at equipping people when they exit the military on don't not to just say, if you're looking for employment, find somebody to help you with your resume get it together and then go network. Mm -hmm. well, if I think I've, mm -hmm. I got my very first taste of networking as a child. Um, because my, the, the church that I went to was super political, right? And it was all like, I lived in a small mm -hmm. town. So it was all like who you, you know, who knew who and this and that, right? So I didn't understand the concept. I just knew that, hey, the more people that you were um, on a first name basis with and you know, uh, maybe you know what their wife's name is or their spouse's name or their kids' names, you know, or, you know, what vehicle they drove, like a small little detail about that person in addition to their name was good. So I, I learned that very early on uh, just in the small town that I lived in. So I was able to take that basic framework into the military with me. And it was also like something that's very important to me mm -hmm. is like any person that I work with or any person that works for me, like I want to know what their spouse's name is. You know, I want to do my absolute best to remember the number of kids they have, you know, or dogs or what have you. And, and then the names, you know, and then maybe like where they're mm -hmm. from, like some specific details about them. And that has served very well in the military because 
um, you know, like, you know, that person, you're like, oh, hey, you know, how's, uh, you know, how's Abby doing? And they're like, oh, man, she's great. You know, like, started doing this, started doing that. You're like, oh, man, all right, cool. That's awesome. But then that's, that's the stuff that they remember. And that actually, like, really helps with the relationship building piece. Mm -hmm. But in regard to LinkedIn, so I, I kind of had that basic framework. And then I knew that in the virtual space, it was going to be different, right? Some of the fundamental concepts were the same, you know, like knowing somebody's first name. But the thing about the LinkedIn thing is like, there's two, there's like two pages. And for me, it's like, are you connecting with a person? Or are you connecting with their persona? Like that is, that's a fundamental question mm -hmm. that I've started to ask a lot because there's a lot of personas out there, but yeah. I want to talk to the people. And the best way to do that yeah. is like Zoom. I love Zoom. So when I first got on LinkedIn, there was, like, oh, go network, man. Like, okay, cool. Well, you know, there's the connect button. There's the follow button. Then there's a personalized invite button. So you've got three choices on LinkedIn, all of which will, you know, connect you with them. I guess, you know, the, the degree at which you connect would be influence. You know, mm -hmm. if you follow them, you're just going to see what they post or what they like or whatever. And then just sending them a connection with no note, right, attached can be seen as impersonal, but you know, like that goes down the whole, like what is their personal biases and all that other stuff, which is an entirely different conversation. I usually just go with sending a short note. And when I do that, I go look at their profile and I, I try to really look for something that we share in common, which is something that I learned back as a kid, mm -hmm. easier to connect with people that have a common interest as you. So I do that exact same thing. And then I type up a little message about it. Like, hey, I noticed that you did this, 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 and this, and this. Oh, and you're a veteran. You know, I'm really interested in this graduate program that you took. Like, is there mm -hmm. any possibility that I can get on your calendar? Love to connect with you and then send it. And but that's, then, that's um, and I think he may have shared this. The, the one, of, what's that? Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say that the follow-up, follow-up, follow um, you have to show up. So, yes, absolutely. Follow-up is key. It's not going to, something's not going to just drop in your lap. Um, yeah. But what I was going to say with that group that we're a part of, Joey, uh, Joey Utah, that's actually how he and I connected. There was a, um, he and I had a mutual connection and I was, helping that particular mutual connection prepare for a presentation she was going to make. And then she actually made the presentation by way of Zoom and then posted that presentation on LinkedIn. I looked at the people who were who had attended her uh, presentation and I saw, oh, look, it's an Air Force veteran and he does podcasts. I want to connect with him because I'm interested in starting a, a podcast. So I connected with Joey. And like you said, just throwing that note in there saying, hey, I noticed you're a veteran. You do podcasts. I'm looking at doing a podcast myself. And we connected. So I had to find those commonalities. And so it was the mutual connection, the veteran, and a same interest. And now, because I stepped out and went to go meet somebody, I'm now part of a group that meets on a, on, on a weekly basis that bounces ideas off of each other and people help veterans help each other 
find the resources that ne they need all because I looked and I found that commonality. So that networking thing really is a big deal. It really is important. And finding, like you said, those small things that seem insignificant really are significant and can, can change your, your sphere of influence greatly just because you remembered that somebody's daughter played a soccer game or son played a basketball game, whatever the case may be. Knowing those small little details makes that person feel valued and if they feel valued, then they're going to want to come back to you and share more information. So I think that's great. I think I really do. Yeah, I like to take networking to the next level. So networking is just meeting them, but I want a tribe. Because it, I mean, it takes a village. And mm -hmm. everybody in that village has their own job or their own area of expertise, but they all share a common interest. And they're all there to help each other. And just following up with people on LinkedIn, you know, a couple times a week, like goes really far. Like I've got some really, really good connections and friends off of LinkedIn, just people that I've just randomly connected with that I've seen them on a, you know, on, on a comment thread or something like that. And we would just comment back and forth, you know, like, having basic conversations and stuff like that. And then we get on the phone or on a zoom and it's like, Oh man, like this person's awesome and great. Like that was how I met Joey was just going back and forth in the comments. I don't even know whose post it was originally, you know, we were just going back and forth. And then it was like, Oh, Hey, like you were security forces. Oh, I was too. Like, Hey man, like let's talk. And I'm like, dude, let's go, man. And then now I, I talk to Joey multiple times a week sometimes every day. So it's, uh, it, it's great. I, I enjoy it. I mean, and I feel like every, every day that you get on LinkedIn is an opportunity to learn and you have control over mm -hmm. what you are the student focused on that day. I mean, it could be marketing one day, it could be networking the next day, it could be resumes. You know, it, it could be hearing from a senior manager at a consulting firm or a senior uh, partner at a bank. I mean, and all you do is you just go through and you can just read their posts and read their articles and, and you, you can learn a lot. Mm -hmm. How are you with developing a tribe for you? What did that process look like? Do you find that some of that, some of those tribe members are seasonal? and kind of come and go or what does that look like with you i i think that uh first i think that the whole tribe concept is probably maybe like a newer generational thing right and this is just this is just uh this is just a guess um but it's all like really really team team oriented right like there's i i don't know what i don't know and i just don't have the time to learn everything. I mean, no one does. So it, it just makes sense. If you have somebody like, I, I, had a, I had a guy today, he asked me about a blog idea. And I'm like, hey, man, like, that sounds fabulous. I don't know anything about a blog, right? I know what the basic concept is, but I, I don't know if I could just like set one up and it actually be effective. 
you know, cause I just don't know that he knows that. Right. So if we were going to start one together, like I'll be like, Hey man, like I'm kind of like, I want to start this blog. You know more about it than me. Like, can you, can you teach me, point me in the right direction? You know? And, and I think that's, what's important for, for the tribe is you have somebody that you can ask a question to, or, Hey, I don't have this skill or, Hey, I don't know how to sit down and have a good feedback session with somebody. Like one of my reports is just, you know, going through it right now and I want to help him. I just don't know how, you know, being able to have that in your toolbox is a, a, a game changer. You know, like all it takes is a 30 minute or hour long phone call. And now you're equipped to either go off on a new venture or help somebody that needs it. And just having people that are there to support you is, is awesome. But to, in, in order to have that, you have to, you have to act. And I think that that is something that really, it's like one of those things where people just assume that it's going to happen. They're like, Oh, Hey, go network. Oh, Hey, go do this. Oh, Hey, go do that. And then, you know, like the willingness to act is an underlying assumption. Like, Oh, they're, you know, they're just going to go out and execute, but then they really don't know how. I mean, and then another thing that I think hangs us up in the military is that, it, it, it's a culture of something that has to be perfect, right? All the time. So if you have a 70 or 80% solution, a lot of people are not comfortable moving forward based off that number because it doesn't give them, um, you know, the warm fuzzy, if you will, right? I'm okay with the 80% solution because if we sit and we get stuck in analysis paralysis, we might come up with the perfect solution, right? but it might take us an extra 14 days to do that. But in that 14 days, how did the situation change? Is, is, is the scope different? Now our timeline's definitely different for sure. Now it's probably gonna cost us more money because we waited 14 days. I mean, I think these similar concepts are the things that you can take from the military and then apply it into industries and it'd be valuable. We just have to be a little bit more comfortable with learning as we go because everything is so dynamic and changes so fast. You know. After Vietnam, you know, if it was a, if it took us 14 days to figure something out, Tiffany, it probably wouldn't have been that bad. But now, if you take 14 days with the technological advances and how fast these things are changing, 14 days, like we're behind the power curve by a significant amount, you know. So at that point, we're gonna need a bunch of money or a bunch of people, probably both, to get caught up, you know. I, yes, I, I agree. That's one of the things that really is different, you know, because of technology and its advancement, it just, that, that react and that touch and go time is not as, uh, it's a little bit more quickly, happens more rapidly than things used to be. Um, so I know time can be an issue. Uh, so before we close this out, I would, if, I would love for you just to any anything's fair game and everything's on the table. Anything that you wish we maybe covered or talked about that we didn't that you would want other veterans to hear about. Uh, anything, just what what would you throw out and talk about if that you know, that we didn't cover that you wish we did? Uh, gosh, that's a tough one. Well, I would say uh, for sure another episode would be awesome. 
because there's just so much to talk about, I feel. Uh, I've been like studying this extensively for a while now, and I still feel like I learn something new every day. There, there's a new resource out there. Like there's, um, there's counselors. Like I feel like counseling, right? I think everybody needs a good counselor or a coach. Being able to find those where they're either free or low cost is a challenge in itself, but then being able to have a person that you can talk to and confide in, in a non-attribution environment is what we really need. Um, so that, that that's something that I wanna start exploring more in the future, but just for a surface level um, support, right? Employment support or housing support or anything like that. There's some great websites you can go to like vetsindustry.com has a huge resource library, militarytransition.org is out there. And Brian Niswander did an excellent job putting together everything, right? Uh, Vets Industry has an entire research team. So they're constantly updating. It's like, kind of like what Google does, how they're always going out and they're researching websites. Well, this is what the research team at Vets Industry does too, to try to make sure that they can find all of the most applicable resources that the veteran community needs. And I know that there's everything on there from employment to interview coaching, career coaching, career discovery. Um, there's job boards, there is service dogs, there's stuff for housing and it's all broken down by state. So you can just kind of go on there or you can just connect with me on LinkedIn. That's another thing too, because I'm forever sharing stuff to try to help get the word out. And that's, that's something. So um, just let you know too, on the description of this, for this, for this episode, um, I'm going to have your LinkedIn um, URL in there as well. Um, and maybe even a, a link to your, what do you call it? The, what is it? Minute, uh, your info of the day or your in info with Alex. Oh yeah, info with Alex. Yeah. Okay. I was like, uh oh, am I making stuff up now? <laughs> but yeah, um, I'll put those things in the in the in the description to have. Um, but yeah, you know what? So I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and stop the recording thing. Um, Hi, this is Sia, co-host at Innovation Calling Podcast here. I want to extend my gratefulness to all the men and women who have served our country. We've had the honor to highlight some amazing military leaders and learn how they've applied their experiences in civilian professional life. I'd like to give a shout out to retired Brigadier General Robert Spaulding on how the U.S. can be more innovative for the future of telco, and Jim Murph Murphy, founder of Afterburner, on using continuous business improvement through flawless execution. It's that kind of discipline and constant drive to be better that I see in most veterans. And let's be honest, from a business perspective, it is most profoundly appreciated. So thank you for your time, your sacrifice, and love for our country. Keep on being you and proudly pursue your dreams. You've got this. And thanks again.